Welcome to City Reach Cumberland's weekly podcast. We hope this message blesses you. For more information about us, you can check us out on the web at cityreachcumberland.com. One thing they wanted to communicate to the youth that, that the Savior was born for them. And, and I just, yeah, I, I think it's, it's really, really neat how... I didn't have a title for my message until this morning, and and I didn't know what they were going to say, but I titled the message that he was born, the Savior was born for you. He was born for you. That we we know that God sent his son for the entire world. Yes, he, he, he loved the whole world, all of humanity, but individually, Jesus came for you. Sometimes we, we forget that. You know, in, in, in Christmas, and, and we think about the birth of Jesus, and, and we forget that he was born for me. He was born for you. Devin, you didn't just trip him, did you? I, didn't, I know you're not that kind of guy. So I want to talk today about that the Savior was born for you. So when we look at the word Savior, we see Savior in Luke chapter 2. Savior is the Greek word soter, which some of your Bibles may say Savior. It also means deliverer. It means rescuer. So it might say any of those uh, different words, depending on which version you read. It comes from the word sozo. So if you know anything about the word sozo, it's an all-encompassing word. Sometimes it's translated to save but it means more than just to be saved from sin. It it, it means to be healed. It means to be made whole. It means to be protected. It means to be rescued. It actually means to be sustained. So there's there's a whole lot of things that go into the word save or sozo and savior or soter that it's really an all-encompassing type thing. It's just not that, yes, Jesus came to save us from our sins because Unless our sins are paid for, we have no chance of ever having a relationship with Jesus. But that's not all He came to do. He came to restore your life. He came to heal your body. He came to reconcile your marriage. He came to to make things better, to, to break poverty in your life. All those things are wrapped up in what Jesus came to do. And so I just want to take a little look today... I want to look at Luke chapter 2, which is where we read from this morning. And then I want to look, uh, my main text is going to be Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And really, it'll be a simple four-point Christmas message. There's four things said about the Savior. And that, that when Isaiah writes this some 700 years ago, he writes about the names that the Messiah or Jesus will be called. And we don't really call him these names today. But you have to remember a little bit, in, in the mind of a Hebrew, or even in the Aramaic mindset, that names just didn't identify a person. It wasn't just, oh, hey, Tori, or hey, Kristen, or hey, Jordan. It wasn't just a means of identification. It actually expressed the very nature or characteristic of, of the person it was referring to. So Isaiah, in, in declaring the coming Messiah some 700 years later, says, gives us four names that are attributed to him. And I really just want to touch on each of those today. As we go through those, I just want to, just want to look at what Isaiah called him, 
and then how that, what that means to us today is having a Savior in Jesus. So let's start in Luke chapter 2. We can actually go, let's go to the next, second slide, and we'll pick up right here. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. So it will. So this message that the angels were bringing, they said, We're bringing you good news. And this good news wasn't just for the shepherds. It wasn't just for them on that very night. They said that this message of good news will be for some of the people. This message will only be for those that go to City Reach Cumberland. My wife says yes. This message of good news is for all people. Who is all people? That's us. So he's giving it to the, the, the shepherds, but he said this good news is for all people. It doesn't stop here. It's not limited to this one night that the Savior is actually being born. He said, today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior. And this is the phrase that just kind of stuck out to me this week. There has been born for you a Savior, which is Christ, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. Now I'm going to transition from the NASB. I'm going to go to the, the CRV, which is the City Reach version. Anybody ever read the City Reach version before? City Reach version said, There will be a sign for you, and you will find the baby wrapped in a onesie and lying in a car seat. I thought that was pretty ingenious. Cassie said Evie could make, make a stable out of popsicle sticks, well, we can make a cradle out of a car seat. That was pretty good. Now it said, this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. So I, I just want you just to, just to think on this for a minute. There will be born for you a Savior. Born for you a Deliverer. Born for you a Rescuer. Born for you, a healer. Let's just say that. Today, there is born for me a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He was born for you. Your uniqueness, your struggles, your issues, your sin, your regrets, your failures. He was born for you. That's good news. What's even better news is you don't have to do anything to earn it. You can't work hard enough to, to, to receive that good news. You can't, you can't be good enough, do enough good. You couldn't have done enough bad. That's what makes it so good. You just got to receive it. So this verse really, I'm, I'm sure, and I don't want to go into this teaching today because it's a different teaching, but I don't believe these shepherds were just the run-of-the-mill shepherds. I don't believe that they were the, the, the shepherds that sometimes their, their pitch is being. I believe they were, in fact, Levitical shepherds. So in Jerusalem at the temple, they not only sacrificed a lamb on the Day of Atonement, they actually had a morning and an evening sacrifice, and per the law, the morning and evening sacrifice had to be a male without blemish, a young male lamb without blemish. And so lambs by nature, anybody ever been around a sheep pen? 
Nobody. Anybody ever sniff? Did you ever roll by a sheet pen and, and just kind of roll your window down? It's not a pleasant smell. They're you know, they're dirty. So they didn't raise the sheep in Jerusalem. They raised them outside about six miles away in Bethlehem. And so these shepherds, Levitical shepherds, would have to watch the shock. The shock. They'd have to watch the, the flock constantly because as soon as this baby lamb was born, they took it and wrapped it. And the reason they would wrap it is to keep it from, from hurting itself, from getting blemished. And so here's people that every day, day in, day out, are taking these lambs and wrapping them and placing them in a place of safety in a manger. Manger also means stall. We translate it as a, as a feeding trough. But think about the sign to them. He said, this will be a sign. So they recognize this. When they see this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, they realize, wow, this isn't just another lamb that we're going to take to the altar every day and make sacrifice. This is the Messiah. This is the one that's now come that was spoken about 700 years ago, thousands of years before that. And so the, the prophecy that really sticks out, probably the one that's most famous to us, is this one in Isaiah 9-6. And so let's just read that real quick, and I want to, uh, just want to make a few points today, or actually four points from that, that, uh, this verse. It says, let's read this together. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Four names. It says that the Messiah will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And so it's these four things today. Remember I said that, that, that to the, the Hebrew or Aramaic mindset, these names actually ascribe nature. They're actually the character. So when he's prophesying this, he's actually saying, this isn't necessarily the name that you're going to call the Messiah, but, but these are going to be aspects of his nature and his character, that he's going to be the wonderful counselor. He's going to be the mighty God. He's going to be the everlasting father, and he's going to be the prince of peace. So let's just take a look at this. Number one, wonderful counselor. So counsel, when we think of the word counsel, I told my new friend here today, she said, I have a, I think it's a master's in counseling? Bachelor's. She's, she's a certified counselor. So anybody needs counsel? <laughs> I know somebody you can go to. So when we think of counsel, the word counsel just means advice. It means uh, strategy. It means input. It means planning. Um, but this says that the counsel that he's going to give is going to be wonderful counsel. It's going to be amazing counsel. Now, I know that all of you have people in your life that you go to for counsel. Most of you don't listen to the counsel you receive. <laughs> See, most of the counsel you receive is not God-wonderful, it's God-awful counsel. <laughs> Nothing wonderful about it. See, there's somebody, there's people that'll tell you things. You're like, well, that's not really what I wanted to hear. 
I'm going to go to so-and-so for counsel. They're a godly person. God moves in their life. They hear from God. I want to just see what they have to say in this subject. Ooh, that's not what I was looking for. Next. This says that he'll be a wonderful counsel. I like the new English translation, the NET. See, a lot of times we just go to God when we get stuck in the middle of a problem. You know, I've screwed up, I've messed up. I, I, God, I don't know what to do. I've made some bad decisions. I'm in the middle of a mess. I need counsel. I need advice. Well, the NET says that his name shall be called the Extraordinary Strategist. I think of like the guys that, that are really good at chess. And they're not just thinking like me, I think I'll move my pawn one, one space to the, the up and over. I'm awful at chess. Matter of fact, my wife won't even let me play chess in the house anymore. Because when we were first married, every time I'd play chess with her, I would get down, and then the chessboard would be against the wall, and the pieces would be across the floor. I've been banned from chess. But Jesus is like that strategist that he's not thinking about just moving his pawn or moving. He's thinking seven, eight, nine, ten moves in advance. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows the move that you need to make now, next week, next year, Ten years from now to get you into the place that he needs you to be. That's wonderful counsel. See, and he's not just able to get you out of your mess today. That's good. But he's also able and exceptional enough that he's able to keep you from the problems that you might walk into. See, sometimes we need counsel to get out of a problem, but more often than not, it'd be better to, to get counsel ahead of time before you get there. See, you need to be seeking the Lord's counsel before you start playing with the matches. Not after the house is burnt down. See, too often we're going to be like, like God's the fire department. Come on. What do I do now? My house just burnt down. Well, I was trying to tell you what to do before you start striking a match. Why, don't, why do we reject counsel? Why is it that when God speaks to us, or we read in His Word what to do, or somebody prophetically declares something over to us, or somebody gives us wise counsel, why do we reject it? More often than not, it's because of pride. There's a verse in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. It says, when there is strife, there is pride. But wisdom is found in those who take advice. That take advice is the same word as counselor. It says, where there is strife, that word means contention, and it's from the root word that means struggle. More often than not, if you're on the struggle bus, it's probably because there's some pride that you rejected good advice at some point in time. That if you go back far enough, that you're where you are, stuck in what you're stuck in, 
because you said, no, I got this. I don't need godly counsel. I don't need wonderful counsel. I would much prefer God-awful counsel. I'd prefer something that feels good, sounds good, tastes good, looks good. It's what I believe. This is what I believe. I don't care what God's Word says. I just want, I want somebody to co-sign for me. See, more often than not, we're looking for a co-signer, not a counselor. See, the counsel of God will tell you the truth. Not just what you want to hear. But the end is always good. My, my problem is so complex, there's no way that God could get me out of this. You don't know the intricacies of what I've done and who I've hurt and what I've taken and done this. Listen. Colossians chapter 2, verse 3 says that in Christ is all the hidden treasures of all wisdom and all understanding. In Christ. That means if you're saved, you're in Christ. You have access to... Look at the next slide. It says, in Christ are hidden all the riches of wisdom and understanding. Not just a little bit of wisdom, not just a little bit of understanding, not that I can't... God knows how to get you out of wherever you're at. He also knows how to protect you, but He knows how to get you out of your mess. Because all wisdom and all understanding is in Him. See, whenever it says that God has hidden the wisdom, or it says all the riches are hidden in Christ, do you know why God hides it sometimes? God doesn't... Whenever you see that the, the word treasures are hidden in the New Testament... God doesn't hide things to keep them from you. He hides them for you. He hides them for you. He hides them for you to keep them protected from the enemy. Think about when Paul's talking to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2, he says that, that we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, wisdom that was hidden before the ages, that God ordained it, before the earth was around. He said, I ordained wisdom for you. It said that none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. So basically what he's saying is, is I had wisdom for you, hidden wisdom, secret wisdom, that I hid before the world began. And, and, and just to give an example, he says, I don't always put that out in the open. Because had I done that, Jesus never would have got crucified. Do you think that they would have crucified Jesus if, they, if the devil knew that by crucifying him, he would enact seal his own coffin. He wouldn't have done it. So sometimes God hides wisdom to keep it from the enemy. And he goes on to say, but I has not seen, ears not heard, the things that God has planned for those to love him, but God has revealed them to us by his spirit, who searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. So that when God hides something for you, Jesus, through His Holy Spirit, can go to that well of eternity past of wisdom and reveal it to you. Give you some what to do when you don't know what to do. But we're looking for a cosigner. We're looking for somebody as messed up as we are that can just give me a check mark and say, yeah, good, do that. I'll, 
What's wrong with that? When you have access to wisdom that was laid aside for you before the earth was formed. I think you're leaving something on the table. Jesus is a wonderful counselor. Next. He's a mighty God. A lot of times when we think mighty, what's the first thing you think of when you think mighty? Strong. Yeah, we think of mighty, we think of strong. Mighty is actually more than strong. I really wish that Hunter was still here this week. Who was here for Hunter's graduation last week? Yeah, I jealously wanted him to stay here. I, 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 you know, I don't, I, I, and I know God has called him elsewhere, but had, had Pastor Jay and Phil invited me up, I was going to say the real reason Hunter's going to Kentucky is not because God called him there. It's because he was scared to fulfill that, that push or the bench press competition that he challenged me to. <laughs> Actually, I was the one that was scared because he's on video benching 315 five times. So I was actually looking for a way out, and I got it. That was good. My record is intact. The hunter's a strong dude. But mighty is more than strong. David says in uh, Psalm chapter 24, he says, Who is the Lord of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. So is God strong? Yes. But he's mighty. So this word mighty is used to describe, if you read Genesis chapter 6, anybody ever read Genesis 6 that talks about the the giants that walked the earth. It says that the angels, actually, that were cast out of heaven had uh, relations with the daughters of men, and they created the giants on the earth at that time, before the flood. Some, some uh, Bibles call them Nephilim. That word is used to describe them. Mighty is used to describe Goliath. If you read the story about uh, David and Goliath, when it says the word champion, he was the champion of the Philistines. That was the word mighty. It's used to describe David's mighty men. He had, an, he had an army of men that would go to battle for him that would look death in the eye and wouldn't back down. So these aren't guys that are just strong. These are, these are, this is describing somebody that's strong, but they're not backing down from a fight. They're warriors. They're valiant. This word also is used to describe a lion. So I think it's Proverbs 30, 30 says that the lion is the mightiest beast of the field and there's no beast he'll ever back down from. I can't help but think that's talking about the lion of Judah. Because there's nobody that's a rival for my Jesus. Nobody. The devil is not the antithesis of Jesus. The devil is not the rival of Jesus. He was a created being. It's not like Jesus against the devil. See, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse, or 1, verse 24, he says that Jesus Christ, and this actually combines the last point and this point, says that Jesus Christ is the power of God. That's the dunamis, the miracle-working power of God and the wisdom of God. 
See, Jesus has authority over the enemy, and he's got power. There's nothing in your life that the power of God is not above. He's mighty. See, when all your friends that were co-signing your wisdom in the first point, and now that you're stuck and you're in your mess, where are they? They ghosted you. Nowhere to be found. There's one man that's still there to fight. There's one man, Jesus, mighty God. He's not walking away from a fight. He's not turned off by what you did. He's not going to leave you when everybody else left you for dead. He's going to be there fighting your battles for you. It reminds me of a story in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus cast out a demon. They accused him. They said, oh, you're casting out the devil by the prince of the devil. And Jesus, of course, says, well, uh, I can't cast out the devil by the devil because the house divided won't stand. Go to the next slide. And I almost got, I, I, I got to just, I, I visualize him saying this. And he says, for who is powerful enough to either enter the house of a strong man like Satan and plunder his goods? Only someone who is what? Even stronger. Someone who is even stronger. Is he strong? Yes. But he's mighty. He's, he's not running from the battle. He's going into that house, binding the enemy, taking his goods. Don't ever think that the devil is ever a match for Jesus. If you've allowed him in your life, no match for Jesus. I love in 2 Thessalonians when, when Paul writes and he, he says that and he's talking about when the Antichrist comes. He called, it's called, he's called the man of sin or the Antichrist. It says that Jesus will defeat him with his breath. <sighs> I know some people got some pretty bad breath. <laughs> Thank God for these things, you know? <laughs> like, hey, you might want to put that mask on. For Corona, no, your breath's really bad. <laughs> Please protect me. <laughs> he says he will defeat him with his breath. <laughs> Don't ever be scared. You got mighty God Jesus on your side. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. A lot of times we don't, we think about the Trinity. And this isn't really talking about Jesus' place in the Trinity because the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they're all equal. But a lot of times when we think about Father, you know, sometimes our, our view of Father is distorted. Now, I was fortunate enough I had a really good dad. Not everybody did. If you had a bad father, a father that maybe abused you, maybe left you when you were young, 
My dad actually calls his own father his sperm donor. He doesn't even call him his father. So my family knows what that's like. Never knew my grandfather, but I had a good dad. If you've experienced that, I'm sorry. But I can tell you this, that your father is always good. Your heavenly father is always good. And if you had a bad experience, don't let that stand between you and your father in heaven. See, when Jesus came, a lot of times we don't think about Jesus being the father, but when Jesus came, because he is one of the one in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they are all equal. That Jesus perfectly represents the Father, and the Holy Spirit perfectly represents Jesus. And when Jesus came, it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says that he is a the radiance and only expression of the glory of our awesome God and the exact representation and perfect imprint of his Father's essence. So that a lot of times, you know, maybe you had a bad father in your childhood, or maybe your interpretation of God the Father is what you read about the God in the Old Testament. A God that was a just God and a holy God and that people could only relate to God based on what they did or didn't do. That God had to bring about punishment and God had to bring about justice because he's a holy God. But that today under the new covenant that Jesus fulfilled all that, took all the punishment, God's wrath, poured out on the cross for you. So you don't have to relate to God like that anymore. That when Jesus came, that Jesus was a perfect representation of the Father. So if you want to know what the Father's like, who do we look at? Jesus. That Jesus perfectly represented his Father. Jesus never beat people. Jesus never condemned people. Jesus never kicked people to the curb because they screwed up two, three, four times. Truth. He always spoke truth. He never condoned sin, but he didn't compromise, and he didn't, he didn't condemn. Unconditional love. And if you want to know what Father God's like, look at Jesus. When Jesus is telling his disciples in John 14, he says, I'm going to go to the Father, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And Philip says, well, show us the Father. And Jesus is like, you idiot. I've been with you three years. He didn't say, you idiot. That was the City Reach version. <laughs> Next slide. What did he say? He said, anyone who has seen me has seen what? Who? The Father. Jesus' theology is the study of God. You could say this. Jesus is perfect theology. Because he perfectly represented the Father. He was the exact imprint of his nature, his, his, his essence. And that everything Jesus did only flowed from the Father. Jesus said, I only do what I see my Father do. I only say what I hear my Father say. Everything he did was flowed out of his intimacy with the Father. He perfectly represented. You know, I can't help but think of the story Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15 about the prodigal son. No greater story about the Father's love in the whole New Testament, I don't think. You think, God couldn't love me. 
I've turned my back on him. I've walked away from him. Not so. Verse 20 of Luke 15, it says, And when he was a great way off, speaking of the son, this is the son that at that time essentially told his father to, you might as well be dead. You're dead to me. He walked away, he spent his inheritance, lived an awful life. It said, when he was a great way off, the father saw him. The father ran to him. The father had compassion on him. He fell on his neck and kissed him. That's how much God loves you. Don't think you've ever done too much, too wrong, for too long for God not to continue to love you. He'll love you even if you don't accept Him. Which is a great thing, but it's a bad thing. He wants nothing more than to be your father. I like also it says that He is not just father, but he's what father? Everlasting father. That the rest of your family might have said you're no good. The rest of your family might have give up on you, disowned you. Not your dad. He's your everlasting father. You can't do anything to change that. Same way in the natural. There's nothing I can do to ever not be my father's son. And for him to not be my father. I, I, I can do a lot of bad stuff, but I can't change the DNA. It's the same, same way in the spiritual world. When you make him your Lord and Savior, he's your everlasting father. Final point is Prince of Peace. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, Prince of Peace. Anybody remember when Obama was president? I'm going to be careful here. Just remember when Obama was president. Obama appointed a lot of people he called SARS. I don't mean SARS like the breathing disease. I mean SARS, C-Z-A-R. So at the time, we had a thing called cash for clunkers. Anybody remember cash for clunkers? You'd like the government would give you money to trade a car? Well, he even appointed a guy named a car sar. Right? This is the guy that was in charge of cars. And there was all kinds. Of, he had, I think, 30 or 40 different sars. Well, the word prince is actually where we get the word czar. It's the Hebrew word sar, which is sar. If you think of the Roman, uh, the Roman Empire, Caesar Augustus. You think of the German Germans; they had their their head guy was called the Kaiser. Or uh, the Russians will use the word Czar, T S A R or C Z A R. It just means ruler. It means prince, ruler, captain, leader, the one in charge. And so when it says that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, it means He's the ruler of peace. He's the captain of peace. And this peace isn't like we think of peace. I mean, we think of peace as when, you know, our enemies are quiet. 
or that you go home and the kids are in bed, right? Ah, I just need a moment of peace. Or you get like Krista and I and they're all out of the house. That's a great time of peace. And then they come back and hell starts all over again. <laughs> Casting those demons out of the house. And like, where did our peace go? This word peace is the word shalom. I like to think of it like this. He's the shalom czar. He's the czar of shalom. The prince of peace. Shalom, the Hebrew word shalom doesn't just mean peace like we think of it. The word shalom means completeness, wholeness, soundness. It means nothing missing, nothing broken. Every piece is in there. There's not like, you know, if you have a, a pie, not that you have like seven pieces and one piece missing. All the pieces are there. It's like the pie before my, my son gets home. You know, when, he, when he's home and Kristen makes me a pie, I know he's been home because part of the pie is missing. Or when I, was a, when I was in college, I came home from college one night and I ate the whole pie. My mom said, who ate that pie? I was like, oh, my friends, they must have ate it. I don't know. <laughs> ate the entire cherry pie myself. But see, this thing went with shalom. It's nothing missing. There's no piece of the pie out. Every part of your life has a, it fits. Nothing's broken. And so I just want to encourage you today, if you've got anything broken in your life, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Shalom. He's the one that comes to put the peace back together. He's to come, the one that comes to take the broken things and restore them. To take the missing and fill it. You read the end of the, 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 ver the uh, Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. Oh, let's go back one. I like this. I like the way the message translates this verse. It says, His names will be Amazing Counselor, Strong God, Eternal Father, Prince of what? Wholeness. Completeness. Soundness. I think we'll just stop right there. You know, why is it important? Why is it important to have be complete? See, God wants to touch every area of your life. You can have all the money in the world. You can be healthy. You can have a great marriage. You can have a great job, but you can be going to hell. You got something missing. You could be saved, have a relationship with the Lord, have a good job, but be sick and flat on your back. Something missing. You might be saved, have a good job, healthy, but your marriage is a mess relationship with your kids is a mess. Something missing. Jesus came 
to rule over that. See, the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Wholeness, has the authority to rule over the brokenness in your life. He wants to put it back together. And when He came, He came to be your Savior. He was born for you. He was born to be your counselor. He was born to be your mighty God. He was born to be your eternal Father. He was born to be your Prince. So, here's how I want to close today. I just want to pray over you guys. I don't ever want to miss an opportunity for somebody that may not know Jesus as their Savior. He came to be your Savior. That Jesus came and lived as a man so that He could identify with us. He fulfilled the law all 613 different obligations of it. He did it perfectly without sin. And as the perfect Lamb of God went to the cross to pay the penalty that all of us deserve, death, came back the third day so that He could impart His righteousness to you. So you're never going to have true peace with God if you're always trying to earn His favor. Because you're never going to know if you did, did enough, didn't do enough bad, did, did too much. You, it, it just a, it's just a chase in your tail. Romans 5.1 says that we, having been justified by faith, which justified means declared righteous, have peace with God. And so I think the most important peace is having peace with God. God wants you complete, but He wants to be your Father. He wants a relationship with you personally. So if you're online today, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, I'm just going to lead you in a short prayer. I just want to tell you this. The prayer, praying a prayer doesn't save you. It's an expression of your faith. You're saved by faith. So you can pray the prayer and walk out of here the same. But if you pray this in faith, if you believe that Jesus died for your sin, if you believe that God raised him from the dead, God's word said you're, you're going to be saved. Let's just bow your heads. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And then we're going to have time if anybody needs prayer for healing. If you've never prayed this before, or maybe you've walked away, Say, Father, I just uh, thank you for Jesus. And I want to make Jesus my Savior today. I thank you for sending him to be born to be my Savior. And I put my faith, my trust in him completely. Thank you, Father. Amen. If you prayed that today, God says you're a new creation. That old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He's taken out that old sin nature and he's placed a brand new spirit inside of you. So, 
We're just going to stand up. It's going to close. Uh, we'll just close in prayer. Anybody that needs specific prayer today, I'm just going to encourage you this. If you prayed that prayer and you'd like to come just uh, confirm that with somebody, come up and let me know. If you're online, you prayed that, shoot us a message. Let us know. We'll, we'll connect with you. Um, and if you need prayer for healing, anything in your life, we'll be happy to pray for you uh, after we're done. So, Father, I just thank you today for Jesus once again. Lord, I just give you praise that you thought enough of us to send your only Son from heaven to earth to live as a man, to live as us. Jesus, thank you for willingly doing that. We just bless you today. We just honor you today, Lord. We just commit everything in our lives to you. We love you. In Jesus' name. Father, I pray your blessing to rest on each person here. Favor them. Let your face shine upon them. In Jesus' name, amen.